It's been a busy week for Emmanuel in many ways in the middle of summer in both of our campuses. What's up, Maple Grove? What's up, Spring Lake Park? We've got a lot going on, a lot of travel, a lot of people enjoying the summertime. And, uh, and then uh, our album was released on Friday, and so, so pumped, so proud of it as a pastor. Our songs come from this house, from our church. We sang them this morning, and uh, just I think it's a, a true sense of who we are. Uh, I've been all week, I was off-site, off-location, and um, working on my dissertation. And as I was working, I listened to the album on Friday, and there was a moment when I had to stop what I was doing study-wise and just get down on my knees and begin to worship. I had tears coming down my face, and it was as if I was in the sanctuary worshiping with y'all. And uh, it was powerful. It was, it was God. And I just love that, um, that thought that what God does in our house isn't just meant for here, but it's to go. Turn to the person say, next to you and say, it's to go. That's a great segue into the title of my message today is Portable Worship. And uh, we're, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I want to start with thinking about the people that are under the sound of my voice and the very stories that you represent, knowing that all of us come from different backgrounds, but we all experience moments much like Israel did in their moment of their season of going into the wilderness, into the desert, and wandering. And of course, we've been talking about how the impact on the people was such that they had to learn how to survive in the middle of change, and people don't always like change. So as I was thinking this week, I was, ran into various different experiences that made me perceive it from a different vantage point. For example, our neighbors, uh, we saw a sign, Jody and I were riding by on our bikes, and I saw a sign that said, moving sale. And I'm like, Jody, they're moving? And she had just heard, and... I didn't know about it, and our neighbors were moving, and, and so I got off the bike and walked up and rang the doorbell and found out that, that our neighbors were moving to Dubai on the other side of the world, and uh, he got a teaching position there, and so this family, uh, he and his wife and their kids were moving Thursday this week, and uh, everything was up for sale, and uh, they had just had a moving sale where literally they were selling every piece of furniture in the house, everything you could imagine, uh, their cars had uh, for sale signs on them, and here they are. They're packing up, and they're moving to the other side of the world. And I wonder what kind of experiences they are having, their thoughts, their emotions. And uh, it's, it's an unsettling season, and yet I think they're going to be okay. I thought of a guy named John who's a businessman in our church who, who has been successful, and, and he's done very well. But he reached that point in the story where he's like, is all there is just to make more money, and where's the purpose of this? And in his faith relationship with God, he didn't know how to connect Sunday morning to the rest of his life. And so he's got a lot of questions inside of his head and his heart about where does this all connect together, and what's my purpose in the world? And there's people in our church, um, fictionally called names out, so I'm not pointing out anybody's name in particular, but people like a Bob and a Doris who are who have been in believers for 43 years. And in many of those years, they felt like much of their surroundings, their neighborhood, the culture that they lived in, the media that they listened to, I was somewhat in alignment with their values and their beliefs. But in the last few years, 
It's as if everybody around them has moved, has packed up and left the neighborhood, and now it feels like they're alone in, in a sea of culture that's shifting away from God and his values, and they, they feel like they're lost, and they're, they're, they're disconnected and from what, they're, what they're, their life really used to be like, and they're feeling alone, and it's much like moving. It feels like, what's going on? And I could come up with story after story after story. We have people in our congregation who, who have family that are here and family in another nation. They've, they've immigrated to our, our, our country. They found jobs. They're big parts of our church, and yet they've got concerns and worry. And you throw the politics of the age into the, into the, the wood, and it sets it on fire. And we've got people that uh, economically are challenged, and they, they, they want to have opportunity, but they're restricted from having opportunity. And they're wondering, where, what's going on? Why am I going through this? And why are we here? Why am I experiencing this? Why do I have to face this challenge? Why do I have to receive what I have and, and ha have no purpose to it? Why am I so lost in a culture that's kicking me out? All these kind of questions actually resonate with the people of Israel as they go out of Egypt because something is changing. God is leading them on an irreversible change, a transfer of, of their life, and they're having to find their identity, their hope, their stability in something new. And friends, I want you to know today that God has hope for those that are in transition, that you are not hopeless, you're not alone, it's the, the sky is not falling, that, in fact, when the sky is falling, it's going to be split wide open and Jesus is coming back to get us. So you don't even need to worry about the sky. Things are going to be all right. But we've got to look to God's word and we've got to trust what God has to say. And today, I want to talk about the centrality of worship in the middle of your, your change, in the middle of your own wilderness. Why did Israel have to leave Egypt? You'd think... They had to leave to get away from slavery. You'd think they had to leave to get away from the, the brutal oppressors, but really that's not why God led them out. In fact, God told Moses in Exodus chapter 7, then announced to him, or Pharaoh, Moses tell Pharaoh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, let my people go. How many have heard that phrase before? Announce it. But this is the next phrase that people miss so they can worship me in the wilderness. It's interesting to me that God chose the purpose of the entire exodus out of Egypt to be worship. Many people today, they perceive worship to be a particular style. Maybe you've come from a traditional background or a Catholic background or you've come from no background whatsoever and you look and observe different styles of what we call worship. That's nothing more than how we do church on a Sunday morning. And you may consider looking at the styles of worship and think, why would God want to lead people out to worship? God was not going to put people through a torture test of a one-hour worship service in the desert. That's not what he was doing. What God was doing is he was reshaping the people. And this statement, so that they may worship me, could be read over the people of Israel throughout the entire, entirety of their 40-year exodus in the wilderness. And church, I want you to hear me. While you wait, the first and the last thing to remember is, I am here to worship. So you can learn what you can want to learn. You can study what you need to study. You can experience what you need to experience. But no matter where you are, you need to wake up and recognize, I'm in the middle of what I'm in to worship. 
It's not to beat me up or bruise me. God's not mad at me. He's not kind of some kind of killjoy in the sky. He actually wants me to connect with him and worship. God isn't interested in delivering you so that you can be disconnected from him. He doesn't want you to be disconnected. He wants you to be connected to him. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, God wants to connect to you. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Even this morning, he wants to connect to you. See, we are born to worship. It's a natural part of the way we're wired. It just kind of comes out of us. For Israel, they had just crossed over on dry ground across what was the Red Sea. And they were on the run away from Pharaoh and his armies who were ready to kill him. And the waters crash over the armies of Egypt, and Israel stands on dry ground. And the very first thing that erupts out of the people is praise and worship to God. Because they knew God had taken them out of something. It's a natural reaction. In fact, in Exodus chapter 15, it says this. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior, Yahweh is his name. So what comes out is just kind of this natural overflow. Something good just happened. No, duh. I'm going to worship the one that just did it, right? And there, there's, it's, it's a natural overflow. How many of you have ever had somebody do something unexpected and super nice for you? And you're like, thank you. I didn't expect that. And you feel good about that person. Worship isn't just a thing to God. Worship is a direction of your heart where you turn towards something and you appreciate what they have done. You, you show them attention, okay? It's a natural overflow. And for Israel, the initial side of it, they had this great tension of, oh, we're going to die. They had this great miracle where they got across on dry ground. And now they're free. And the very next thing they do is worship. But anything can get our worship. We want to honor. We want to think. We want to build relationships with anything or anyone that, that gets our time. I like to call it worth-ship. We, we assign that worth to something that, for someone and what they've done for us. In Egypt, the people of Israel were slaves to Pharaoh, but they also depended on Pharaoh for food or anything. In other words, their entire life was still dependent on this cruel tyrant that was ruling them. And so it's this crazy thing. You know, it's true even today. The people we hate, we still depend on sometimes. How many people hate the government, but they depend on the government? How many, you know, hello? How many people have a problem with their boss, but they sure hope they get a paycheck on Friday? And it's this kind of crazy relationship. For Israel, they were dependent on Pharaoh. And as long as they were dependent on Pharaoh, they were not going to be able to truly worship God. So they had to leave Egypt in order to worship God. God knows that whatever we depend on gets our worship, and he didn't want Israel to depend on anyone but him. Sometimes God leads us out of places so that we can worship him only. So I want you to consider this thought today, that whatever you're going through, may not be about the thing that you're experiencing. 
And if you wake up and recognize, maybe God's allowed this season in my life so that I can worship him. Worship. In uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word worship is used a lot. I'm going to throw a couple of Hebrew words at you today from the original text. But the two main words for worship are, the first one is shakah. And that means simply to bow down in homage to royalty or God or to honor him. It's to recognize royalty that's in the room. It's to bow down. And when the word was used, music is not mentioned. It has nothing to do with music. It has to do with lying prostrate in the presence of royalty. It's what Abraham did when he went to sacrifice on the mountain and give the shakah to, to, to God, to what was due him. The other word is this, the word abad. Everybody said abad. <laughs> you learned a new word today. But that means to work or to serve. It's, it's actually to work or to serve or to take care of, to worship. It's an action. And when Moses was told that Pharaoh um, was to take the Israelites out to the desert, they were to go out and abad, to serve God or to worship God in the desert. I want you to catch this. What was occurring was God was saying, I'm going to take the people of Israel where their whole life surrounded Pharaoh and his economy and how he did things, and I'm going to take them out into the desert, and now instead of serving Pharaoh, who misused them and brought them pain to, to every generation, I'm, I'm going to take them from serving him, and I'm going to lead them into the de desert where they can serve and worship me. So in other words, the movement out of that, that, that transition that they were going through, was all about them moving to serving a different God. The one and true and holy God. And how many know he knew what was best for them. And he would provide for them. And he would give them what they could not give themselves. He was leading them out. Israel had to learn while they're in the desert how to worship God in the desert. And so Exodus chapter 16 through 26, you'll see all kinds of rules for worship, how you are to interact with other people, things you could do, things you couldn't do. And you might look at that and go, man, that seems kind of basic. But the reality was God was teaching those people how to know him, not to know Pharaoh. And you know, when you get to start to know someone, it's a process. When you first meet someone, it's kind of formal. You get to know those people, and you go, so what do you do? What's your story? Where are you from? Where do you work? How many kids do you have? And you kind of go through this, like, formal conversation. And that's what Israel was going through. God was giving them kind of initial relational dynamics. This is how you relate to me. These are the things that I need you to do. And none of them were brutal or painful or slavery-oriented like Pharaoh had, had done to them. But they were all meant to connect to God. See, God was moving people towards him. And he was teaching them. See, God gives direction for how he would meet with the people. One year later, after the Passover, in Exodus chapter 25, God says, now's the next step. He says, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. And so he is sent, says, I want you to build this. Now, this is a, a tent on the platform that's behind me, and it's, it's a two-person tent. Or for me, it might just be a one-person tent because I'm a little double wide. <laughs> but
But God was, says, I want to give you the dimensions of how to build this massive tent and this massive portable tabernacle would be used as a sacred place where God would choose to meet with his people and where people came together to worship and offer sacrifices. The uniqueness of this was that it was a mobile tent with portable furniture that people traveled around with and set up wherever they can. And that tabernacle literally was in the center of the Israelite camp. And all 12 tribes surrounded that tabernacle. And God was in a sense saying to his people, what I want you to understand is now I want to be the center of your story. You're going to build your daily life around me. And worship became portable. It wasn't just one place, but it was on the move. This week uh, at our church, we, in Spring Lake Park, We've, we're going through building changes. We're getting ready for more and more demolition and the high school and middle school are um, uh, combined and they are getting kicked out of the gym essentially. And so we moved them into the sanctuary in Spring Lake Park. And they came in. That meant that the prayer service had to move somewhere else. So on Wednesday night, we went over to Spring Lake Park High School and our prayer service met in the auditorium at Spring Lake Park High School. And we worshiped God. In fact, I've got a couple... Uh, pictures of it. We had hundreds of us worshiping God at Spring Lake Park High School. And it was powerful. And it was portable. And I'm telling you, the same presence of God that inhabits our sanctuary and the praises of God's people here also work at the high school. Can I get an amen? It's portable. It's kind of on the move. It's what I love about our album. Our album can be played anywhere we go. You can have a holy of holy moments in your bathroom. Make sure you take a shower first. That's, you know, a good thing to brush your teeth and everything and use the bathroom for what the bathroom's for. But I'm saying while you're doing all what you do every day or driving down the road, God's presence can be with you. That's what God was beginning to teach the people. I'm going to go with you. Worship and serving God was not just practiced in the tabernacle, however. And many a times you might look at the Old Testament and think, it all happened in the temple or the tabernacle. But God was beginning to teach the people that he wanted a relationship with them in everyday actions of their life. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to who? Your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road. And when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is a great little passage that Jesus actually quoted from on loving the Lord your God and him alone with all your heart and soul. But here's, here's an interesting thought. God says, I don't want you just to worship me in the tabernacle but I want worship of me to extend into your home. And I am, I'm painfully aware nowadays that under the sound of my voice on both of our campuses, there are many of you that did not grow up in the church. And you're like, well, worship is at church, right? And then you get in your car and you go on with the rest of your week. But God was saying to Israel, and I would say God would be instructing us today in 2016, then no, God's to go. He wants to be in your house. And not only is God to be worshipped in your house, and I'm not talking about singing songs. I'm about, talking about living your life unto God. 
He wants to be a part of your story and your children need to see it. If all your kids are getting is when they come to church, talk about God, something is missing. Your kids are not going to follow the religion of your pastor. They're going to follow the religion of their parents that they live out with every single day. So God says, I want you to live with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means every part of what you do. God is not saying, I want you to set up a worship song service at work. How many of you might get fired, right? But what he is saying is he's saying every part of your life needs to be worship or service unto me. Many of you have gifts and talents that were birthed in you from the time you were born. Maybe you went to school to work on those things. And now you are in the workforce. And perhaps you're at a place that's not very ethical or very religious or very compatible for, for, for church on Sunday morning. But you are there nonetheless as salt and light, and God has sent you to that place. God would say, your work becomes worship unto me. So you can get up in the morning and say, as you get up, I worship you, God. You are the center of my focus. You're my hope, my strength, my song. I need you today. And as you drive to work, put on the Emmanuel Live worship album, What We Hope For. Sing the songs, God be praised forever and always. And you're singing to God, right? You can sing it out to God. And then you walk in and you can be the best hamburger flipper at McDonald's. You can be the best paper pusher, the best business leader, the best person that God has called you to be there. And all of your work becomes worship unto God. Now it becomes real, it becomes important, it becomes a part of your story. And God is simply saying, that's how I want you to live. Live that way. Students that are going to go back to school this fall, and I know they're so excited about that, need to be able to get up in the morning and think about math class being worship unto God. Come on, somebody. We'll work on that. We'll have a prayer service for it later on. That's Pastor Phil and Pastor Tim to figure that one out. Now, Jesus furthered this portability thought in the New Testament, in John chapter 4. He says, A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father speaks. And what he is saying in this is he's saying it's not going to be about a place. It's not going to be about a particular place. He's talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And she said, should we worship God in this place or in Jerusalem? And Jesus said, it's not about the place. And by the way, we should never get caught in conversation about which church is better than another church. Hello. Church, don't ever get caught up in that. Praise God for churches everywhere. We need more of them in the, in the Twin Cities. We need people winning. Don't get caught up in that. Jesus is not, he's essentially saying it's not about the location, it's about the worshiper. It's actually about you. And the worshiper will worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, Jesus wants us to connect to him authentically in our spirit and in truth. It's got to be authentic. And it was not 
about the place. Why does God care about what the worshiper does? He's God, isn't he? He's got thousands of people worshiping. Why does he care about you? Why does he care about the person next to you worshiping? I'll tell you why. Because God wants to meet with the worshiper. He literally wants to meet with you. God is interested in relationship with you. And worship is the Wi-Fi router that connects us to God's signal. Literally, worship connects us to him. And we need to be connected to him. Turn to the person next to you and say, you need to get connected. <laughs> See, we kind of look at it from a different vantage point. How many times should I go to church? Should I lift my hands or not? Do I like a certain worship style or not? We get caught up in all these kind of doing things. But God is more interested in relationship with us. People ask religious questions. What must I do, they may ask. And Jesus asks relationship questions like, who do you say that I am? Did you know that Jesus wants to know you and worship is a great way to be connected to him? Worship was, is, and always will be about relationship between creator and creation. It's about the creation connecting to the creator. He wants your heart, not just your hour on Sunday morning. It's not based on your feelings, but it's based on his character. God wants to be your shining knight, the love of your life, the center of your story. He wants us to worship and serve him with faith that is growing stronger all the time. Our faith can grow in him. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Friends, we need our faith to go up, then our worship needs to go up. I can tell when someone's faith is growing low, it's difficult to worship. And you know what? We have a hard time worshiping because our eyes get on the wrong things. It could be on us. Our career can become the thing we worship. Instead of using our career to worship God, we begin to worship that. We can worship people and relationships, and they replace it. And our faith grows dim when God's not a part of the story. So if you want God's faith to fill your lungs and you want to grow, then maybe the thermostat on the wall that turns it up is worship. Maybe you need to turn your affection towards God and recognize him because when he becomes the center, everything else falls into place. Can I get an amen? And by the way, that just means learning to do it. Israel had to learn how to do it. They had to grow in their faith in it. When Jody and I were younger, we were just married, and we didn't have two nickels to rub together. We didn't have any money, and we were trying to figure out how to make it. And uh, I remember the Sunday night worship service we used to have with altar time at, at Emmanuel on Sunday nights. And and we came up from the altar one night, and Jody was pregnant with our first child, and she had tears running down her face, and she said, Nate, I think God wants me to stay home and not work after the baby comes. I said, okay. <laughs> now, it was, it was the desire of my heart. I want, I want, I, that was great. It's a luxury most people nowadays can't have. And, um, and I'm like, okay. And, of course, when the baby came and she stayed home, it meant cutting our income in half and trying to figure out how to make payments and, and 
provide for food and all kinds of stuff. And I can recall during that time that God was beginning to use that wilderness season to shape in Jody and I a new faith, not in our circumstances, but in him. You know what God was doing? He was shifting our attention and our focus and our reliance on our jobs to him. We learned during that time that our jobs were not our providers. Jehovah Jireh was our provider. Are you hearing me? And it's funny, but you go through cycles and seasons. Now you, you kind of grow, and as time moves along, and if you're a good steward, and God entrusts you with more, and you have more stuff, and things come in, and you're, you're not worrying the same way you worried before, now you reach a point again where you got to remember, I need God in this season that I'm in. You can forget about it. You can forget, oh, that's right. I prayed so hard, and God answered my prayer. Now you kind of get into a season of life where your worship kind of lowers down. You're not as affectionate. You're not relying on God the same way. And friends, even as you mature, you need to revisit those principles of worship where you bow low and you take all that God has given you. Say, God, help me to use what you've given me to be an instrument of worship unto you. Help it not be the thing that I worship. That was good. I'll just write that down somewhere because that's... Amazing to me how God warned Israel that when they would get in the promised land someday, that the temptation for them would be as they get into their permanent housing and, and they gain new things, that they would forget the God that brought them there in the first place. Let us never forget who got us where we got. Amen. Now Israel reaches this point in the story when they're near the promised land. And as they were approaching this moment when they could go into the promised land, Moses takes 12 representatives from the 12 tribes, and they are to be spies to go spy the land out, to scope it out and see if we could take Israel into the promised land. And as they're going out, the content or the, the place of worship in the hearts of Israel was all over the map. They had come a long way since the Red Sea had split. And they sang their praise to God. They had now been in the desert, and they were used to regular miracles and, and manna in the morning and God leading with a pillar of fire and the smoke. They were used to him at this point in their journey. And now as they get to this point, the representatives really represented the hearts of the people of Israel. Ten of them were people that represented the grumbling and the complaining and the people had shifted their attention and were worshiping other things and had forgotten God. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, were people that still saw God as big in their eyes. And they all went into the land. And in Numbers chapter 13, verse 27, it says this. This was their report back to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, and the Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, along the Jordan Valley. They recited all these other things, but Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land 
with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. Now, this is an interesting moment in the story of Israel because really, because the people had not maintained their worship, they had not kept God at the center of their hearts, they shifted away, and now God had brought them to the place of their promise, of their destiny. And because they didn't see God as bigger than anything they faced, they let the obstacles determine their future. And meanwhile, two guys who worshiped God and saw him as big, yes, they saw the the giants in the land. Yes, they saw the obstacles. But their heart believed that God could carry them through this moment. And of course, Israel listened to the 10 spies with a bad report. And Israel then went back for 20 more years of wandering in the desert where that entire generation passed away before they were ready to see God big again and move into the promised land. Friends, I'm saying this to you as a church of 53 years. We have got to maintain a big vision of who God is. And no matter what experiences we're going through, we will be tempted to get our eyes off of him and worry about an election, and worry about things going on around us. And meanwhile, if we get our eyes off of him, our hearts will tremble when we face ordinary moments in our journey. And I'm saying this to you, we need to get our eyes off of that other stuff and fix our eyes firmly on the one who sits on the throne and is able to carry us through each and every circumstance. When we stop worshiping, we miss the miracles that God places in front of us. What's the mountain in front of you? Whose report are you going to believe? Is it time to worship God at home? Hmm? Is it time to show that you believe and trust in God in front of your kids? To find purpose through worshiping? There's a young couple in our church, Jeremiah and Rachel Messer, who 19 months ago or so, had a horrible Christmas season, New Year's break, when their son got a bacteria that began to destroy his organs, and they began to shut down, and people, they rushed him to the children's hospital and went through three or four days, a couple weeks, turned into a couple weeks of, is he going to live or is he not going to live? And they couldn't get the organs going and back, and I remember going down to Children's Hospital and praying and he had just, his heart had stopped beating and they got it beating again and this little kid, Maxim, mom and dad held him in the hospital and they held him and they prayed and hundreds and then it turned into thousands of people began to pray for him. They prayed for a miracle for little Maxim. As a church we prayed and he kind of stabilized and they kind of found a new normal and he got to a point where he could live, but his kidneys did not function at all, and so he was on dialysis. And it was, it, it was just not a way for, to, to live for a little boy. It just, he didn't have a life like the other kids. And, and the doctors had said, after six months, kidneys don't come back. They don't turn back on. They begin to kind of shrivel up. And his kidneys still didn't work six, six months later. And then about three months ago, the kidneys started working again. Amen. 
And, and he's off of dialysis now. Now, he's, that's the miracle part of the story. That's the part that we can see, the Red Sea part. But mom and dad are still praying and believing because it's not functioning at a level where he can sustain a, a major trauma or a, a major sickness. They may even have to give, get a transplant for him. And uh, his dad, I called Jeremiah up last night on the phone, and we were talking, and Jeremiah's flying to Cincinnati tomorrow. And just to be prepared in case, he's got to give his kidney. They're checking him out to see if he's a good match. And So mom and dad are still in the wilderness, uncertain about what's going to happen. But here's the cool thing about this couple. Throughout the entire story, their high and low emotions, they keep going back to the Word of God and praying the Word of God over their son. They keep talking to God. They keep God as large in their eyes. And as they worship him, God is carrying the whole family through a story. And the story's not over. As I talked to Jeremiah last night on the phone, he was still trusting in God. Pharaoh was not going to rule the day in his heart. The experiences that they... they they were feeling we're not going to rule the day in his heart no he was still turning from the facts and saying to God I trust you he let God be bigger than the experiences that he's in are you hearing what I'm saying today so today church what I'm asking us to do is to learn to keep God magnified in our life to not look through the wrong end of the telescope and see him as small and our problems as big. But to take it out and recognize God is so much larger and so capable of walking any one of us through any circumstance. And to remember where our help comes from. The psalmist said, I lift my eyes up to the hills. But where does my help come from? The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Get your focus on the one that will carry you through. Would you stand on both campuses today?